Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still. Where nature is harsh and demanding. Where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. I want my land. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you together? go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Showreel, uh, 3CR's look at the Australian film industry. And uh, today we're going to be talking to a filmmaker, uh, M. Baker, who's uh, been who's made this film called I Am No Bird. And if you're a literary type, you'll know that that title came from Jane Eyre. It's all about marriage, so it's pretty interesting. G'day, M. How are you? Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, before we do get on to your film, uh, I'm, I Am No Bird, which is a great title, I have to say, uh, which starts at, it's got its theatrical release today, in fact. So today, it's, yes. So it's perfect for us to be talking to you. I did notice when I was looking you up that uh, you've had a pretty interesting um, film career uh, before the making of this big, uh, your big leap, which is your first feature. So... Um, can you tell us a little bit about being a digital artist in film and how you got to do that? <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. Um, so I think you're talking about uh, when I worked uh, for a company called Allura um, and basically I was what's called like a roto cleanup artist. It's not a very glamorous job. It's basically like somebody who digitally cleans out green screens and ropes and you know, all sorts of things that, um, you know, are shot on a film set but that you don't want to see in the finished product. Oh, right. Um, yeah, so that was my job on sort of a number of Hollywoody things and, yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's interesting. For a little while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, the... Sitting in a dark room, though. <laughs> and, and so what they just say, so someone's looked at it and they say, oh, that looks a bit scrappy, uh, we want you to get rid of it. That's the power of digital. Yeah, well, I mean, they shoot it with the knowledge that they're going to remove it later. So it's things like, um, you know, like bungee ropes that stuntmen are attached to or like um, tracking markers or green screens. So they, they know that they're going to remove that in post, yeah. <laughs> oh, isn't that interesting? Oh, yeah, well, that, I find that very interesting. How did you actually get to do that, Joel? <laughs> um, that, yeah, so I kind of fell backwards into that. I suppose I've always wanted to make films. Um, and basically I just found myself in a position where I said, if I could find any job in the industry, I would take it. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I'm 30 now, but I started work in the industry at, I guess, 22. Um, and you know, at that time I initially went overseas and got an internship on a film called Beast of the Southern Wild. Oh, that's fantastic. I I knew I've spoken to you before. This isn't your first feature. You made the film about the bikes going across America. 
Yes, that was that was me, but that wasn't a feature. But yes, I oh, I see. Film. So technically speaking, <laughs> it's not a feature. It was a. It wasn't long enough to be a feature, but yes, I did make that film as well. Um, yeah, so I suppose we've had this conversation before a few years ago, but yeah. So essentially, I um, ended up over in the states, and the work that they needed me to do ended up being visual effects, which I had no experience in at the time. But I kind of learnt pretty quickly on the job, as you do, and you're needed to. And then when I came back to Australia, yeah, that was what I pursued for a little while. But um, I'm not particularly technically savvy and I do miss, I guess, sort of human interaction. And so visual effects in the long term was probably never going to be where I found myself. Yeah, yeah. And I'll have to say, Beasts of the Southern Sky is one of the best films ever made. Anybody out there who hasn't seen it, you really should go and put that on your list. I have to say, yeah. it's you were lucky. You fell in with yeah. some good people. I was very lucky, that's true. <laughs> and so I remember Spoke, and uh, Spoke was a really interesting film about uh, following you and a mate uh, cycling across America, which was a very personal and intimate film. And in a sense, this film, uh, I, I Am No Bird, is also a very intimate film. Tell us about how you got the idea of investigating marriage through these four different characters. Well, I mean, it's interesting you bring up Spoke. I think you're the first person I've spoken to that I also spoke to for Spoke. Um, (laughs) uh, I enjoyed Spoke. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really interesting film. Thanks so much. Um, Yeah, but I realised after making Spoke that I would rather not be on camera if I can avoid it. I'd rather be behind the camera. Um, after years of looking at myself relive the same three months of my life over and over again, I decided to not do that ever again. Um, And so for this film, you know, I did find myself really interested in marriage as a construct. Um, You know, I'm a young feminist, queer woman living in Melbourne. Um, I was already living with my partner at the time when I first became interested in this uh, as a project. And I guess I wondered what marriage really offered women uh, in a modern setting, and whether there was any sort of um, whether there was any sort of constant, uh, uh, yeah, any sort of constant that existed between marriages all around the world in different cultures, you know, especially we have, you know, we've just come off the back of a pretty uh, vicious debate in this country as to what should constitute marriage and what shouldn't, and so I was curious about, um, you know, whether there really was any one thing that you could say was a key ingredient to weddings for women. How did you get the uh, four different uh, protagonists? Because they are pretty interesting, one culturally and also uh, uh, how they've uh, approached marriage is really interesting. How did you get those four couples? Um, so I connected with them in a range of different ways, uh, varying from, I guess, sort of personal connections through, uh, and also through Facebook. And then um, I was put in contact with one uh, through like a, I'm part of a film collective called Film Patals, and they have a chapter in Istanbul, and so that's how I was connected with Benai. Um, so through a range of different ways, but it was really important to me from the beginning that I felt that there was a diversity of women being represented. And I feel like I have managed to represent, you know, a diversity of cultures, of, um, you know, of religions, of sexualities, of attitudes to marriage, of, um, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds. Uh, I probably didn't represent a diversity of age, which probably represents 
a little bit of my bias there. Um, I didn't find anyone who was, you know, really significantly older or younger. But, um, yeah, I did feel like, for the most part, it was enough of a difference between the four of them uh, to make the film interesting. And I do think that as well, each of them had really different reasons for getting married, and that was something that interested me, you know, that there could be different you know, that you could have a different set of motivations for entering into it. Yeah, I, I, I think on, before we move closer into asking questions about how this process uh, happened, um, I must say that uh, it's very pleasing, the range of people that you... Like, going to Istanbul was... Uh, amazing, you know, like to think, oh, we're going to be finding out about a person in this environment who's going to get married. So that was interesting because we don't know, I'm, you know, I know very little except through red stuff. But I'll have to say that uh, the one that was most curious to me was the Asan people from India. That was. A it's so interesting that you say yeah. that because honestly, every person that I've spoken to has chosen a different woman. Mm. Right, there you <laughs> go. Yeah, so it's really interesting. Um, but yeah, sorry, go on, go I, on. I just didn't know that they, they existed. But of course, I think to myself about the the Hill Tribe people from different places. In The whole of Asia, our conception of Asia is probably extremely underdeveloped in relation to their local histories and how that group of people uh, cre- uh, maintained a homogeneity within the Indian context, and it's they've got this sort of Christian overlay. It's really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, that was really interesting to me too. Like, one of the biggest, um, you know, criticisms that I faced kind of early on in making this film was people saying, you know, that person's not representative of Australia, or that person, and particularly getting uh, criticism, well, that person's not representative of India, um, because when people think of India, they mostly think of, you know, people who look a certain way, um, who potentially are of Hindu faith. Um, and, you know, there's not really an understanding of the fact that India is such an incredible, diverse... I mean, it's a country of a billion people. I know. Really. It, it should be a continent in a lot of ways, you know, or thought of at least in our minds as a continent, um, because it's just a country that has so many different people, so many different languages and traditions and um, sets of beliefs. And so it was important to me that I felt like we were seeing not only a diverse, you know, set of countries, but also people whose experiences we weren't seeing even within that country very often. You know, like Thalia is a lesbian. And from a country like Mexico where, you know, people, I guess, like it's a predominantly Catholic country, that might not be the story you would expect to hear from that country. But I wanted to make sure that it didn't feel, you know, like I was... I, I didn't want to feel like I was using these sort of cardboard cutout representations of different countries. I wanted them to be real people who really just lived in different parts of the world. Yeah, well, it, it succeeds. Um, I'll just remind listeners that they're on 3CR and this is Showreel and we're talking to M Baker about her film I Am No Bird, which is a... Uh, well, I suppose a polemic in a way around marriage and it follows the lives of four completely different people but it's got some really key elements that appear to make marriage have commonality across cultures and uh, amongst individuals. Uh, tell me, you do manage to get 
um, incredible uh, personal statements from these people. I know that when people are getting married or if someone dies or if they're having children, these are key moments in people li- people's lives and it, they're new experiences for each person that actually does it. So that makes them vulnerable in a sense or prepared to express themselves. Well, let's go to the woman from Mexico. She was dealing with a whole lot of demons in a sense. Yeah, I mean, I think that Dahlia's experience is one that a lot of people in the queer community can probably relate to, and that is one of having been for a time ostracised from her religious family. Um, You know, and so for her, um, I find her story, I mean, I find all their stories really moving, but I do find her story particularly moving um, because I think that for her, marriage is symbolic of, acceptance and of what she has always felt in herself. I mean, she she said in the film that she's normal and she's very, um, she kind of is at at pains to emphasise that to people. Um, And look, like not all of us, like queer or straight or whatever, want to be quote-unquote normal. But that's something that I think was important to her, that she was not seen as any lesser or any different because of her sexuality because that is how she'd felt growing up. Yeah, it was fascinating. And it was also the um, the way she was spurned by her family. Well, you know, people will feel this in a variety of ways, but it was like they were holding their breath to see, like in a childish way, to see if uh, she would give up this mad notion. This, this mad notion of, sorry, go on. A mad, no, a mad notion that she was uh, gay. <laughs> you know, yeah, like they were holding yeah, their breath. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And again, I mean, you know, we've just come off the back of, like I said, a really horrible debate in this country. Um, and look, I mean, I know I'm pivoting a little bit, but I do kind of want to make the point um, that, you know, I made this film in the middle of that debate while that was going on in this country. Um, and I felt very strongly, um, you know, during that time that we had been thoroughly let down by our government, a government that, you know, has been elected to not only enact the will of the people but also to ensure social cohesion, who then instead turned around and handed one half of the population sticks and said, here, hit the other half with it. Yeah, um, yeah, that's and I right. just I you know, and I just think that I think that people reacted to Dahlia's story particularly strongly um, at Sydney Film Festival, for instance, because there's people in that audience who you know, their relationships with their families were um, irrevocably changed by that survey. Um, And that's the legacy of that survey in this country, I feel, is that there are people who now don't talk to their parents or who don't talk to their siblings or their co-workers or whoever um, because of the cowardice of our government. So I felt very strongly about that and it really did, um, it, it played on my mind as I was making this film. Yeah, you're right. Good statement to be made. Um, Yeah. Uh, Tell me, how did you go about this? It says that you're the director, the writer and the cinematographer. So tell me about the crew and how you uh, managed to do this. Sorry, just one second. (coughs) Sorry, I'm a little bit sick today. Um, Well, I'm I'm lucky you're sick because then I've got you for a certain (laughs) amount of time. Go on. Um, So... I suppose, like, I'll be honest, uh, when you don't have any money to pay anybody, um, you can end up doing a lot of things yourself. And so, you know, I would have loved to have had a cinematographer um, and I definitely would have loved to have not had to produce the film. Um, But I, you know, I I essentially just started making this film on my own with not very much money. Um, 
And so uh, it was kind of as I went along that I was then I, I kind of started to accumulate people, which I feel really, really lucky for because I was probably starting to burn out a little bit on my own. And I am really, really grateful that I ended up working with so many great people. Um, my editor, Ariel Shaw, was just, that was one of the best experiences sitting with her and really putting together this film because she really helped me to kind of tease out the narrative and to make sure that we had a lot more clarity and you know there were she she was good at convincing me at times to kind of kill my darlings because there were moments <laughs> that I wanted to keep because it was such a beautiful shot or like the light hits just so and she was like it's not advancing the story it has to go and you know she was right um and then also I mean there's beautiful animations by local animator Juliet Rowe yeah um, that's right are fantastic and I think just add so much to the film and I'm really proud of them um and proud of her work um the composer, Kai Chen Lim, uh, is also fabulous. And, you know, it was his first time. Like, for, for a lot of us, it was our first time having a go at something like this. It was uh, Ariel's first time editing a feature documentary. Uh, it was, you know, Kai's first time making music for a feature film. It was Juliet's first time doing animations for a feature film, and it was my first time directing. So we really were, you know, and are, like, we're young um, and kind of just having a go. Um but I, I think that, you know, we all made something that we can feel really proud of. Yeah, I think so too. I'd forgotten about the animation. It was a very interesting device that you used. Uh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. How did, uh, now, because it's in a sense, if it's like radio in a way, because it's, you, you know, a vox pop type arrangement where you're going to ask people questions about themselves to probe and to tease out. Did you start that way did you or did you follow the story as the person uh, exp- uh exposed themselves as it were um i mean yeah we we essentially were just kind of you know flies on the wall watching and filming everything that we could um at times you know particularly in turkey i don't speak any turkish um, no, that's all. so until i got home and was sitting there translating and i mean i worked with three different Turkish translators to get through, four actually, to get through all of the Turkish. Translation alone took seven months because there was five different languages in this film. Um, But, you know, I I didn't really know what we had until we got back and I was sitting there and then someone would, you know, the translator would start laughing. I'd be like, what is it? And then they'd tell me what they'd said. I'd be like, oh, that's great. And we'd make a note. Yeah, like it, um, it kind of unfolded in front of us. I mean, I guess in a sense, you know, we... Like, I always felt like I knew where it was going to lead. Like, we knew it was going to end with a wedding. Um, but, yeah, I just I was really interested in documenting all of the process leading up to that. Well, actually, the funny thing is that uh, sometimes, I mean, weddings don't always have a result in the sense that people get so uptight and emotional that sometimes people's weddings don't actually happen, you know. So, yeah. you know, because there is a certain suspense involved in a leading up to a wedding. So that's interesting mm. in itself. Um, but also uh, what I went away from it is because uh, I'm not that fond of weddings personally. Uh, I have my own views about them, but I, uh, which is mm. why I found watching this film really fascinating. And my daughter got married, and I found that fascinating that she decided to do that. Congratulations! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, so it's I uh, think, it's interesting. To be honest, I do think it's a film that, like, I made this film for women. Um, yeah. I didn't make it with a male audience in mind, and mm. I 
feel like, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that and that's, that's how I want it, it to be. And I do think it has resonated more strongly with women. Um, you know, uh, and, you know, another criticism I had was someone saying that um, at times it can feel like, uh, you know, the filmmakers undecided on whether they're sceptical about weddings or whether they think they're wonderful and beautiful. And I just thought, well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? um, and that, I think, is so quintessentially the experience of women, you know, functioning in a world that is simultaneously, um, you know, sort of marketed to them but also not set up to benefit them. You know, like we're just constantly sold things um, that aren't, that even though we might want them and we, you know, we might want to interact with them in some way, um, you know, underneath they're not really set up with us in mind. You no, know? they're and imposed. I, I like, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I guess just off the top of my head, I'm thinking of like, I don't know, like cosmetics commercials or like, um, you know, clothing or like I, I'm constantly sold clothing that I think, oh, it looks really beautiful and I'd like to have it, but also it's really uncomfortable and why do I have to wear the uncomfortable clothing? And like, you know, <laughs> it, this is just the way that the world is for women, isn't it? Um, and I think that that gets, you know, more pointy the more you go into, you know, different margins and intersections in, you know, inside of that community as well. Um uh, you know, yeah. I, I actually developed a theory that uh, the more uh, pain that a person's prepared to uh, adopt, take, you know, how high the heels are going to be and how tight and uncomfortable the dress, etc., etc., how revealing, how many things they have to be concerned about proves how much that person has bought into the uh, oppression that is their own special gift from society. <laughs> well, sure, but I mean, I, I also feel like, you know, I, I wear the heels and I wear the tight dresses. and I, I think that this is also what I wanted to show was I think women are incredibly overly scrutinised and judged constantly. There just is no way of winning as a woman. You know, you're, you're either to this or you're to that, and it's very, very hard to find a middle ground that makes everybody happy. And I think that that's often held up as an example of sort of, the failing of women or mm. of women being unintelligent or oppressed or, I don't know, slutty or whatever it is. Yeah, There's yeah. so many labels that are thrown at us. And I think I really wanted to make a film that held up the decisions of women and gave them all value, even though I think that the four women in the film have really different lives and they've all made really different decisions. I didn't ever want to make a film that mocked any of them yeah. or that kind of, you know, made it seem like, um, you know, I just think that there's, there's enough of that. There's enough kind of, um, you know, sort of finger pointing and scrutiny of women. And, and sly sarcasm. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, I wanted to make something that looked at the way that women were able to bend and not break in the world and say there's something powerful in that. You know, there's something powerful in being able to navigate and intelligently, you know, I guess compromise or find ways to make things work for you when really they're not designed to, you know? Yeah. That, um, there's so many more things we could talk about, but I, <laughs> I guess we should um... – I mean, before I do stop and ask you about where it's showing and all that sort of stuff, um, I, it was so complicated. The ceremonies are very complicated, yeah. aren't they? You know, I sometimes yeah. I felt like people had been married three times by the time they'd finished their sequence. 
Yeah, there's there's a lot to it, you know, and yeah. I realized that, um, yeah, each culture has its own kind of set of ceremonies and rituals and, yeah, there's there's lots and lots to it. I mean, I got married earlier this year and my husband comes from a Hindu background mm. and so we had ample ceremonies ourselves. Yeah, very um, interesting, isn't yeah. it? I mean, it's worth going to see yeah. this film for that. I mean, besides all the other things that we've been talking about, I found it really fascinating. Yeah. Where is it on? Oh, Do you, you know? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I do know. Um, so in Melbourne, uh, it's showing at the Thornbury Picture House. I think one of the screenings has sold out, so they've thrown an encore screening at the Thornbury Picture House. And then it's screening all week as of today uh, at Classic Cinema in Elstonwick. Um, we're having a Q&A screening, so I'll be there answering questions like these ones uh, tomorrow night. Uh, so that's Friday, the 15th of November at the Classic in Elstonwick. Otherwise, you can catch the film, uh, yeah, other times at the Classic if you go to their website. Oh, fantastic. A lovely cinema. And uh, the Thornbury Picture House is a delightful place, I'll have to say. Yeah. <laughs> Both really beautiful cinemas. We're really yeah. lucky to have such beautiful cinemas in Melbourne. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much for uh, taking time out of your sickbed. Thank you. Thanks so much. <laughs> Bye-bye. Yeah, well, that was M. Baker, and it is. It's a very interesting film. It's called I Am No Bird, and uh, as as I said, it's actually a uh, a piece from um, uh, Jane Eyre, which is a was is considered to be one of the earliest uh, feminist novels. Which uh, I actually say I personally found pretty boring myself. But never mind. The quote's a great quote and the film's a very interesting film. And uh, M told you all the details. I'm just about to leave. We're going to go out with uh, Mia Dyson again, Precious Things. Coming up next is Published or Not. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.